All right, so now we're going to talk about beating the devil. How to beat the devil today. Share the broadcast if you haven't done it already. Subscribe, hit the notification bell. That really helps. And ready to go. How to beat the devil. So one of the very first things I want to tell you is this. Jesus said this in the Great Commission. All power or all authority is given to me. In other words, when he said on the cross, it is finished, the battle was done. The struggle is over. The devil's already beat. So why are we talking about how to beat the devil? Well, I'm going to discuss that a little bit, but one of the things is even though the devil has been defeated, all of his keys and authority has been stripped from him, Jesus has all of it that leaves zero for the devil, there is something that the devil does, and this is very important, and we're going to see this. The devil has deception. And what he will do is he will deceive people. He will deceive people into utilizing their own authority against themselves. And so this is the way that the devil gets his stuff done is he, he people that will yield to him or yield to his deceptions. So one of the biggest things is to recognize those and to know those, and that's part of what we're talking about today. Uh, I'm going to give you this real quick, how to beat the devil. Basically, and if they have those, uh, those ready, there's two steps on how to beat the devil. Two steps. It's very simple, but there are two steps here. And the first one is recognizing the traps, the schemes, and the devices. And the second thing is apply the word. It's very simple. But the issue is that many times we don't know we don't know what's actually going on there. Um, we don't know. We don't know that we're in a trap. We're in a device. So, are we still alive? Because my thing just froze up. Let's see. There it is. Okay, good. I'm back. So, one of the things that you see is that many times people don't realize they're in the middle of a scheme. They're in the middle of a device. They're in the middle of a trap. They're in the middle of a deception. So. We have to know what the devil uses, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We have to know how we get into those, and we have to know how to get out of them. We have to know what the Word says and how to apply it. So the two steps in how to beat the devil is recognize the trap schemes and devices and apply the Word. I'm going to show this to you, and then I'm going to talk to you. I'm, going to, I'm giving you the answer up front. But then I'm going to lay out these scriptures and show you these steps along the way. So the first thing is, when you're recognizing the traps and schemes and devices, understand that the major weapon that the devil has is deception. And so at this point, they can put this up on the screen. I'm going to give you three deceptions that the devil uses practically in every deception. Here are the three deceptions. The lust, of the, eye, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Once we understand what these deceptions are and how to look for them, how to recognize them, we won't be ignorant of his traps, schemes, and devices. Then we, he also utilizes our thoughts and strongholds with those deceptions, and we, know how, we have to know how to recognize those wrong thoughts, recognize those strongholds that have been in our life, uh, kind of like a thought that we believed in all of our life, 
and uh, we, we keep thinking that it's the right way to think or something that's been pulling on us spiritually. It's a stronghold that's fortified in our thinking, in our atmosphere, environment that we grew up in. We have to overcome those, take them, take them captive. Then we have to apply the word, and there's basically two steps to apply the word, and that is to know the word, step one, know the word, and step two, apply the word through faith, confession, and works. They're going to put that up on the screen here in just a second. But so step one is recognizing the trap schemes and devices. Step two is apply the word of God. And to apply the word of God properly, we have to first know it. And secondly, we have to apply the word through faith, confessions, and works. And we'll talk about that in detail. So let's jump in right now. So the first thing I told you, the two steps, if they can put that back up, to beating the devil. Two steps to beat the devil is recognize the traps, schemes, and devices, and then apply the word of God. It's, it's that simple, but I can tell you that many people fall for it because the devil is deceptive, and many people have been deceived on things that they're not even aware of. They don't know. You know, I've said this many times. You can put this in into the comments. Uh, by definition, when you are deceived, you don't know it. By definition, when you are deceived, you don't know it. And so in order to not be deceived, we have to humble ourselves. The key to breaking deception is humility. Please put that in the comments. The key to breaking deception is humility. We have to humble ourselves to the Word of God. We have to humble ourselves to God's ways, God's ways of doing, doing things. So in order to beat the devil, one of the major elements that we have to apply in our life is humility. What this means is to your average Christian, what this means to the average Christian is what you think you know, you have to put on the altar and let God show you from his word if it's really true. Many people are deceived and they don't know it, and part of their deception are even things they learned in church. You know, somebody taught them, but wrongly. They didn't teach them the full counsel of the word. They didn't teach them the power of God. They didn't teach them uh, to really believe as a child and have the rule of the king or the king's domain, the kingdom of God in their life. They didn't understand that. And so because of that, they're walking in deception and the devil is eating their lunch. Well, we're here so that people will stop being deceived by a powerless foe, a foe that's already been defeated. We don't want to see any, anybody. You know, think about this. There's the scripture that says that the devil will be presented in front of the, in front of the people of the earth and their comments will be this. Is this the one? Is this the one that deceived nations? Because they will see him for who he really is and realize that he played a big shell game on them. He played a big deception game on them, and they, they should not have fallen for it. He didn't have what it looked like he had. You know, a lot of people there, you know, a lot of people admittedly today, they're going to hell thinking they're going to have a great big party and they don't realize how deceived they are. And really they had every chance to step away from that in Christ. And it's very important for us to see that and to know that. And, but they're deceived and they think that everything's okay. This is part of the schemes 
and traps and devices that the devil has, it's important for us to make sure that we're aware of them so that we're not caught by it. So let's jump in. So again, top, top two, the two steps. There's a very general approach on how to beat the devil, okay? Very general approach on this. And here it is, top two steps. Recognize the trap schemes and devices, apply the word. Recognizing the trap schemes and devices. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. It says this, so that no advantage would be taken of us. Would you like to have it have your life in such a way so that the devil can't take advantage of you? If that's you, put a hands up in the comments. I want to live life and, and the devil cannot take advantage of me. If that's you, put a hands up in the comments. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. We are not ignorant of his schemes. The King James says of his devices. In other words, he has schemes and devices, traps. He has deception, schemes, devices, traps. And if we will, if we will become aware of these, then we can stop being taken advantage of. Um, one of the most interesting things to me, and we'll come back to this shortly, is one of the most interesting things that I ever saw as a pastor was this. Was in when we first started the church, we had multiple people started coming to the church. Our numbers were starting to grow. People really enjoyed what they were hearing. They would amen. They were excited as they left on Sundays. And then a couple of things would happen. They'd be there for about uh, three, four, five, six months, and then all of a sudden they'd be gone. They, they'd just be gone. And I was wondering, what in the world is going on? Father, what is happening to all of these people? And, and one of the things that, that the Lord led me to is they are ignorant of the devil's schemes. They are ignorant of his devices. They're falling over themselves uh, because as soon as they leave church, the devil would throw one of his tricks, one of his traps at them, and they would fall for it. And what the Lord led me to was the reason why they're falling, they are unaware of how the devil plays, they're unaware of his schemes, and they don't know who they are in Christ. Whereas when I first started, when we first started the church, you know, if, if I could have all the knowledge of God was here, I thought that most of the church was operating, you know, mid-grade, mid-level. And what I really found out was people's knowledge of the word was very, very low. There's something that happened in the last 20 years, and it's like the knowledge of the word of God really dropped off and because their knowledge dropped off, when the devil would throw something at them, they wouldn't recognize it. They wouldn't see it for what it was. Uh, we came up with a saying to help kind of bring people to an awareness of it. We said, look, this is not coincidence. This is coordination. This is not coincidence. This is coordination. When you see everybody on one Sunday deciding, you know, I think I'll just stay home today. I mean, we would have, we had some days where 50% of the people stayed home on the same day. Didn't happen other times. That's not coincidence. That's coordination. So the devil would throw a deception at people. They wouldn't understand their, not, their responsibility to assemble. They thought they had an option because of some of the stuff that's been taught in our environment. And so they'd be like, I'm staying at home today. And they'd come, we'd have guests there, and it'd be, look like nobody was there. And so this was not coincidence, this was coordination. And so what I found was, man, it really bothered me as a pastor. 
And I had to start talking about how the devil has schemes, how he has deceptions. And I had, because I was telling them who they were in Christ, but they were falling for some of the easiest traps, some of the easiest things, and the people were falling for it. So I had to preach and teach and build faith up on who they were in Christ, how the devil has no power over them. And as I did, people started winning those small battles, which led to winning bigger battles. So we have, we can't be ignorant. We don't focus on who the devil is and what he has. But at the same time, according to this verse, we can't be ignorant of what he's up to. We, we don't focus on it. We don't make it the majority of our preaching but we don't want to be ignorant about it. We want to know how he operates. You know, any good enemy knows how their enemy operates. And so if we're going to be an enemy to the devil, which we are, and Christ is, Christ came to destroy the works of the devil in 1 John 3, 8. So if we're going to do that, we need to know how he operates. So he says, we don't want to be taken advantage of, and if we're not going to be taken advantage of, here in 2 Corinthians 2.11, it means we are not going to be ignorant of his schemes, devices, his tricks, his traps. So if we're going to understand the devices of Satan, one of the first things to understand is the devil has one weapon. One weapon. Put that in the comments. The devil has one weapon, deception. The devil has one weapon, deception. If you look in Revelation 12.9, in Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 20, you see four different scriptures of the devil going out of the world and into the world, into and out of the world. And every time the Holy Spirit attaches to him something that he carries with him. And that thing is his one weapon, and it's deception. He carries deception with him. Uh, verse uh, chapter 12 verse 9 and the great dragon who was thrown down the serpent of old who is called the devil and satan who deceives the whole world he he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him revelation 20 verse 2 and 3 and he laid hold of the dragon the serpent of old who is the devil and satan and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After, completed after these things, he must be released for a short time. Revelation 20, verse 7 and 8. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Revelation 20 and verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Ever. So one of the things that you see here is, look, look at that. What is it? I'm asking you, put it in the comments. Every time the devil came into the world and was cast out of the world, what's the thing that he took with him? What's the thing that he took with him? And that's right, deception. Every time. That's his one weapon. Now think about that. If, if we can diffuse 
deception in our life, this thing's over. You see, if we can diffuse deception, the thing is over. And we have a major key to diffusing deception. But here's how that works. Humility. Humility will unlock what we need to know. Humility is not the, the weapon of diffusing deception, but humility unlocks that weapon for us to use, okay? So one of the things I want you to see now is there are three main deceptions. We can put this up on the screen. Three main deceptions that the devil uses. They are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. These are the deceptions here. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now let me show this to you, and let me read this in the Amplified so you can see what these are, and then from the New Living. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and in parentheses, the lust of the flesh is, craving for sensual gratification. So you can put that in the comments. The lust of the flesh, craving for sensual gratification. Good morning, Ashley. Good to see you. The lust of the flesh, craving for sensual or fleshly gratification. Now, this can be in multiple areas. Most people, a lot of times their, their head goes directly to like sexual things. It's not just that. It can be hunger. My body's craving because it's hungry. That actually is a lust of the flesh. The second thing in the Amplified, the lust of the eyes. The greedy longings of the eyes and the mind. The greedy longing of the eyes and the mind. And then the third thing is the pride of life, which is the assurance in one's own resources or the assurance in the stability of earthly things. So the lust of the flesh is the craving for sensual or fleshly gratification. The lust of the eyes is greedy longings of the mind. And the pride of life is assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things. The Amplified goes on to say, these do not come from the Father, but are from the world itself. Let me read the same verse in the New Living. Again, three deceptions that the devil uses. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, Three deceptions that the devil uses. And we want to make sure that we understand these and we start to recognize these things in our lives. All right? In the New Living, it says this, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Now, one last thing that I'll tell you about deceptions is, keeping the, these things in mind, many times the devil, the devil will use combinations of these things. So, for example, let's say that we see something, there's a lust of the flesh, we're longing for something, for a fleshly desire. And then it'll be the pride of life. He'll combine that and say, you deserve this. You got this. You've been working hard. And pride will come up and beef up 
that lust of the flesh, and that'll lead. Maybe this alone wouldn't have deceived us, but because he threw pride in there and that thought of the fleshly, of the fleshly thinking, the fleshly corruption comes up. No, you deserve this. You'll see a combination of these things, and many times that is what will trap people. So this is important because, remember, the devil has no authority. So if he can deceive us and we will move according to his plan in these areas, then we will use our own authority against ourselves. And then the devil can take an advantage over us. So the thing is to recognize these things, put them in their place. Put them in their place, and when we put them in their place, the devil's got no answer for that. That's how we beat the devil. Now, what's interesting is this. These three deceptions were used against Adam and Eve, and they were used against the devil. The same three deceptions in the garden and in the wilderness. Let's look at the garden experience. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now, the serpent was more crafty, you could say he was more deceptive than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and watch this what he said, Indeed, has God said, I want you to watch this. This is something the devil does all the time. Did God really say that? Are you sure? In other words, what he's trying to do is to bring doubt to the word of God. This is how he will employ these deceptions and get them to work on certain people because he's questioning, did God really say it? Why? Because the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It will pierce every bit of the devil's devices. He's got to dismantle that weapon before he can take advantage of it. So he will get us to question what has God said. To Watch this. To question the nature of God, to question these things. The devil's always questioning like that, and you have to watch out for that. Anytime that comes up, many times he'll do things, he'll say things that look really good. Uh, many times he'll, he'll say things that look really, really good, or he'll, um, he'll say things that, like, he'll, he'll get people in front of you, and the public will say, now you need to support this, you know. You need to support these things because it helps your neighbors, and that's what Jesus would do. But in the middle of it, there's a deception. And so it's questioning something else that God has said. Who's your source? Who's your healer, right? It questions who is the source of our prosperity? Who's the source of all of our provision? But it'll do it in a way that will cause us to question or make us feel good about pleasing people, but it won't please God. And so this is what it'll do. And a lot of times that's wrapped up in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In other words, you can make your own decision. That's the pride of life. You're, you're strong enough and you're strong enough believer. You can make your own decision. You don't need to get wise counsel. That's the pride of life. That's the deception. Okay, now look at it here. He's, the devil said, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now notice, he didn't say what God said. That would have been too obvious. What he says is, did God say you couldn't eat from any tree of the garden? 
So he, he generalized it. He broadened the scope of what God said so that the answer has to be, no, that's not what he said exactly. So immediately he's playing, he's playing psychology, right? And he's getting the whole, he's trying to change the whole narrative. And then, but here's the problem. Eve didn't know what God said exactly. Eve didn't know. He says, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but then you have a lack of the full word knowledge in Eve. She says, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said. Now look, she's about to say, like God said it himself, but she adds to it. You shall not eat from it or touch it. God didn't say anything about touching it. He said, don't eat it. That's all he said. Don't eat it. But see, you can tell right here, she doesn't fully know what God said. She's not meditated on the word. She didn't know what the truth was exactly. And so the devil had an avenue. He had an advantage because she didn't know the word or how to apply it. He said, she said, you can't eat it or touch her. You will die. Then the devil directly questions the word of God. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. So he, now he's directly contradicted. He kind of got her into a conversation, got her on unstable ground, and then he throws something at her and says, no, this is not it. See, all of this is deception. It's deceiving. It's deceiving, designed to deceive, and now he's questioning the direct word of God and saying, you won't surely die. Now here's the thing. He's mixing the truth with a lie. Because I don't know if Eve fully knew how they were made in the three parts of man, you know, spirit, soul, and body. The devil here is telling a truth. They won't die in the body today, but they'll, they're going to die like a thousand years from now, close to a thousand years from now. But you won't, you will die spiritually today. Today you will die spiritually because this act of sin will disconnect from God. So on one hand, he's telling a fact, but on the other hand, it's a lie. And so he's directly questioning what God said. And because she doesn't know the word, she falls for it. Watch this. He said, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, watch this. Here we see the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was good to fill my belly. That's the lust of the flesh. And it was a delight to the eyes. She looked at it and she longed for it. What she saw in her eyes and her thoughts in her mind, the, the lust of the eyes is your, the greediness and the craving of the eyes and the mind and thoughts. It was a delight to the eyes. Oh, that looks good. I bet that is good. And then the pride of life. And the tree was desirable to make one, to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And so how did she even get to the place where she was questioning that this was good for food? It looked good to my eyes, and it would make me wise? 
How did she even get there? She entered into a conversation without knowing the Word of God, and she let the devil question the Word of God. She didn't go and take that to her head, Adam, before she took action. She just moved on that right in the moment, and then Adam actually wasn't deceived, but in order to please Eve, now this is like the lust of the flesh. In other words, I have a craving to not make it hard on myself, but to please my wife, he, he bit into the sin as well, and that day they died spiritually. The deception was complete, and the fall of mankind was there, and now we needed a Savior. Now, let's look at this. When you go into the wilderness with Jesus, Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11, you see the exact same deceptions coming up. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. He was hungry. Verse 3, lust of the flesh. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. You're hungry. You need some food. This is the lust of the flesh. And what's the flesh going to say? I am hungry. I do need some food, right? He's trying to utilize that lust of the flesh. But notice what Jesus does. He doesn't fall for it. Jesus doesn't fall for it. Verse 4, but he answered, Jesus answered. He took life from the word of God, and he took the sword of God, and he pierced that deception. And that is our key to beat the devil. This verse right here, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word. The word of God is our life. It's our sword. It, it's our weapon against this deception. It's the word of God. And so here comes this deception in the, in the uh, lust of the flesh. You're hungry. Turn these stones into bread, right? That, Jesus recognized it. Look, those stones are not my source. Devil, you ain't my source. And none of your thoughts. I'm not even going to uh, think about these deceptions that you're telling me. No, I'm going to go straight to Scripture. He says, he goes straight to Scripture. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. I will live by the Word of God. The Word of God is my source. God is my source. And when I feel like I've got to make a way in a different way, no, that won't be the case. You know, recently I was having a discussion about alcohol, you know, alcohol in the church and alcohol in believers. And one of the major points about that is that's a lust of the flesh. Why is it that we feel like we need to draw on a worldly source instead of God being the source of our peace and God being the source of our strength? And so a lot of people will fall for the lust of the flesh in that area, and they won't lean on God. They're doing exactly opposite of what Jesus said right here in Matthew 4.4. 4. Here, here you go, the pride of life. Here's where the devil brought the pride of life. The devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Verse 6, and said to him, if you are the son of God, and he goes, you're the son of God, aren't you? Well, if you're the son of God, then you should do this. What's he, what's he on? He's trying to get him into the pride. He's trying to get him into pride of who he is. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Now, now, here's how this sounds in today. You're a mature believer. You can pray and make it through this yourself. You don't need to call the pastor. You don't need to reach out for any help. You don't need any other guidance. You know how to hear from God yourself. Now, that's a much, that's a much lower temptation than telling Jesus, if you're the son of God, do this. He's just telling you that you're mature. He's not telling you you're the son of God. But that smaller deception traps more people. And what is it? It's the pride of life. It's the pride of life. He said, Jesus said to him, on the other hand, what, what did he combat the devil with? The knowledge of the word of God. He knew the word. He said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the last deception the devil tried on Jesus was the lust of the eyes. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. See, it's the lust of the eyes. He's showing them, look, let me show you all these kingdoms. Kingdoms. Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. How did Jesus beat the devil? He recognized the deceptions. He didn't, he didn't even meditate on them, and he answered with the word of God. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and be began to minister to Jesus. Glory to God. So, the deceptions, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those are the three major ones, and then they can turn into thoughts and strongholds in our life, those deceptions. Many of us, and, and hear me on this, and please take this in humility, many of us, many, many, many of us have strongholds of deceptions that we don't know are there. Remember I said, by definition, deception... Uh, when you are deceived, you don't know it. By definition, when you are deceived, you don't know it. So how do you unravel the deception and see it for what it is? We have to humble ourselves to the Word of God. We have to humble ourselves to it. We have to allow the light of the Word to shine on us and show us those things. Many of us have had deceptions and strongholds in our life that we are unaware of, we're deceived to it, but we have to humble ourselves to God and say, Lord, show me what you need to show me. I humble myself to you. Show me where there are, might be deceptions. Show me where there might be things. So when we come into church and we're like, look at me. I've been going to church for all this time. Look at my spiritual resume. See all these giftings I have? And we are not willing to look at who we're who we're not in Christ. We're not willing to look at that stuff that might be a problem that we don't want people to see. That's when we mess up. God is so pleased with us when we are willing to take a look at what might be a deception and say, Lord, is this a deception? If it is, I'll change it right now. That humility will take away the power of the enemy from deceiving us. Thoughts and strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or the destruction of strongholds. We are destroying speculations or vain imaginations in the King James. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Remember when the devil was 
thinking about overthrowing God, one of the things he said was, I will set my throne above him. I will set my throne above him. The devil always wants to bring things and put them over God, over God's thoughts, over God's ways. He always wants to get things on the throne that aren't God, and he does that in deceptions as well. Then he says this, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Everyone, we're not leaving one lofty uh, speculation, vain imagination. We're not leaving one of them alone. No, we're taking them captive, every one of them, and we're ready to punish all disobedience. So when those thoughts and those deceptions try to creep up and present themselves higher than God, no, we are punishing that. We're taking that captive. And it says, whenever your obedience is complete. So when we will set ourselves to be in the right place with God, when we set ourselves there and our obedience, no, this is wrong, I'm setting it right, then we will take those thoughts captive, we'll do away with those deceptions. Now, how do we do this? We apply the Word of God. In order to apply the Word of God, the first thing is we've got to know the Word. Remember the story I said at the beginning? So many people did not know the Word of God, and they also didn't know the devices. I, this verse has come alive to me so much in the last few years where Jesus says, you do err not knowing the Word or the power of God, not knowing the Scriptures or the power of God. You err not knowing that. We need to know the Word better than we've ever known it before. We need to grow in that knowledge. How can you apply a Word that you don't know? How can we apply a word that we don't know? You know, put that in the comments. How can we apply a word that we don't know? He says this, Matthew 4, 4, we got to know the word. There's the verse from before. Jesus showed us, hey, here comes devil with his deceptions. Let me show you what to do with it. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. John 8, 31 and 32 so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, so now we don't just know the word, but we put the word to work, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We have to apply the word through faith and confessions and works. Apply the word. All right, faith is not works on its own. Many people work and do things, but they never get in faith. But when we get in faith, a product of faith is that we will work our faith. We will take action on what we believe. All right, so now look at this. Apply the word through faith, confession, and works. Romans 4, 20 through 21 says, talking about Abraham, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured. The King James says, fully persuaded that God had promised he was able to perform. Here's one key. Put this key in to apply the word of God. Key number one is with respect to the promise of God, become fully persuaded. Become fully persuaded on the promise of God. Become fully persuaded on the promise of God. Become fully persuaded on the promise of God. Let that sink into you. 
This is, this is an area uh, we're not giving ourselves to meditation on the Word uh, a lot of times I've found. And that meditation will help us to become fully persuaded on the Word of God. Fully persuaded. The second part, Mark 11, 22 through 25. And Jesus answered them saying, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, an action of faith, a proper response of our faith is that we confess the word of God, not the situation, the word. You notice that Jesus didn't say, man, that's a demonic storm that's going to kill us. He didn't say that. He spoke the will of God to that storm. Peace be still. Peace be still. Confess the word of God. Become fully persuaded on the promise of God. Confess the word of God. If we're going to apply our faith, here's how we do it. And be taken up, he says, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, cast seat, and does not doubt in his heart. Third thing, do not doubt the word of God. Do not doubt the word of God. But believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to you. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them. So the fourth step is take the word into you by faith. Believe I have received it. Not I'm receiving it actively. No, I believe I already have it. It's mine. I'm not waiting on it. I have it now. Believe that you have received it. Take it. That's what that word means. And it will be granted. And then the fifth step is whenever you stand praying, forgive. There's a key to faith. Forgive. Forgive. And then what you see, the next step here is James 2, 17 and 18. Even so, faith if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, when we believe something, when we believe something, our, our actions will change based off of what we truly believe. Our actions will change based off of what truly we truly believe. So the last step there is take action on your faith. Amen. Glory to God. I hope that that's helped you. Now I want to open that up and uh, invite Barrett and Marky to come on here. I know you probably have some questions. If you have questions on this, uh, put them on right now. And uh, we want to talk about how to beat the devil. And as we're doing that, recognizing the traps and schemes of the and devices of the deceptions, apply the word. Amen. Glory to God. You guys, what did you get something out of it? I've always uh, been a little bit confused on those uh, different, the lust of the eyes and flesh and um, pride, of life. pride of life. I've always been a little bit confused on that. So that was really interesting hearing that explained. Amen. Um, would you say that the lust of the eyes are more so like from your soul? Like, because you're talking about your mind, your mind's part of your soul. Would you say that like longings, is that more so like, like what your soul would be wanting, like unrenewed. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that all three of those deceptions, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, uh, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, all of those are going to have uh, a place in our soul and in our mind, will, and emotions. But the lust of the eyes, you really see a direct connection there. It's uh, things that you will see and crave uh, that you see with your eyes and the, that you meditate on in your mind, uh, really, I would say 
in a manner of speaking, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life become a lust of the eyes pretty quickly because it's something that people will meditate on when they crave the things of the flesh and they uh, crave uh, the pride of life. Before long, that's what kind of overtakes. It becomes a stronghold in their thinking, and you'll see that. The lust of the eyes literally means things you see and things of the mind. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think that that one is kind of stronger in the soulish realm. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the, the daddy in that, uh, in that group of the soulish realm. But all of them work similar in that way. And, um, but you can see how it's divided there where it's like, okay, my physical flesh wants this. That's the lust of the flesh. You know, it wants to be pleased. It wants to be filled. It, it's the lust of a corrupted flesh. But then you, you, know, you have the pride of life, which is I am somebody. I want to be somebody. You know, yeah. I want to be somebody. I want to be known for something. Um, I am this. I've done this. I've done this. You know, many ministers mess up because they've had some experience and they get into that pride of life, and and that's a problem. But then the lust of the eyes is like when we see something and we're we're greedy for that thing. You know, we we want that thing, and I think every single one of us have fallen for these areas in different ways, uh, minus Jesus. So, but yeah, I do think that that's has a lot to do with the soulish yeah. realm, the mind, will, and emotions. Do you think people have focused more so on the lust of the flesh? I feel like I hear there's kind of a, a concept of, well, if I'm not doing this sin, this sin, and this sin, then I'm good. And it's like a lot of it has to do with physical sins. or Sex, like, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do you feel like a lot of times people have focused... Uh, a little bit too much on the less of the flesh and not as much the other ones because it's maybe because it's tangible and we can be like, it's a hard line of don't do that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that I think that you have sins that are right in front of our face. Mm-hmm. You know, sex, drugs, rock and roll uh, type stuff. That was funny, Bear. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of times that you have things that are right in front of our face or that other people see. Yeah. And because of the pride of life, they don't want to be known for that or seen for that. They'll either hide those things or won't do those things. And, um, you know, it's not because they love Jesus. It's because they don't want to have a bad name. They don't want to have a, a bad reputation in that way. Mm. And um, that's where what you see is kind of those things working against each other. That's a kingdom set against itself. It's divided. It will fall. But, um, yeah, I think that a lot of times the things are right out in the open. People are more hesitant, although we're seeing a change in that right now. People are actually becoming proud of their sin, and that's what the Bible says will happen. They'll be yeah. they'll be prideful about their sin, and um, so that. But a lot of times you will see people that, especially in the church, that will not. Um, they will not do those things that are right in front of our face. Those big, what they would consider big sins or things yeah. like that. But here's what, here's one of the schemes of the devil, and we see it in the word. It's the small foxes that yeah. ruin the vine. So the issue is they can have that little thing that they don't deal with that grows, and then it grows. And then all of a sudden they find themselves in a little bit more major sin, so they're willing to take a, a bigger bite out of that apple of sin, out of that fruit of sin in the next step, and then all of a sudden they find themselves. That's the path that can lead to somebody breaking the seal of the Holy Spirit and denying Christ, and that's 
it's very dangerous. Well, and that's what you see in the uh, example that you gave with Adam and Eve in the garden. Like, the lust of the eyes, lust of, uh, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Like, those are the three things that she was faced with. But she got there because she added to the word. Yeah. Like, she added to the word. And so a lot of times, like, if you list out all the things she did, exaggerating and adding to the word would probably not be one that people would think is, like, the most dangerous. They'd be like, oh, adultery is so much worse than that. But because she added to that word, yeah. it opened herself up to yeah. be able to be deceived. Had she not done that, that yeah. wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have been able to have the foothold that he then did. Well, a lot of times preachers preachers will actually do that. So one of the things is they'll find their own little thing that they think happens or it's an assumption. Um, mm-hmm. Abigail was asking a question last night or the night before about this, and I said, that sounds good, but here's the thing. We don't have scripture on that. So maybe that's exactly what happened, but we don't have a scripture for it. So it's not really something you can preach with a boldness and a confidence. And a lot of times preachers will find something that uh, looks like it has to be that way, but they'll keep preaching. And the reason is, is that's a pride of life as well, where they're wanting to be known for a special revelation or a mic drop moment. And that really can, what you said, open the door for things. Do not exaggerate. Jesus said it like this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And, you know, I, you and I've talked about that yeah. multiple times and I've talked about it with myself as well. If, if there were 12 people that got born again, then 12 people got born again, not, you know, somewhere between, you know, 12 and 15. That's an exaggeration, you know, and it may seem small, but you don't do that. You you give that exact number. You don't stretch, you know, yeah. you don't stretch those things. And those are things that people think are small, but they're not small because they'll lead you to bigger things. And um, I, Kevin said this, Pastor Allen, I'm assuming, assuming Pastor Allen Hall's at the river, he used to say that every sin of the body starts as a sin of the mind. In other words, there's a thought in the mind that's not taken captive. And when that thought is not taken captive and it can spawn and it can grow, then all of a sudden you have somebody that, that allows that thought to become a true lust of the flesh or a lust of the eyes. And all of a sudden now they feel like they have to move on it. It's taken over their thought life. And uh, that's the thing. You don't play with it. You, you, When you find something that you did wrong or you're even thinking wrong about, you repent quickly. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. There's a lot of personal responsibility. And you mentioned this yesterday with the how to, you know, how to get caught on fire for God. One of the three things you mentioned was responsibility. And a lot of this boils down to what are we doing? Like, you know, the, the enemy can try stuff, but what are we doing to ensure that he's not gaining ground. You know, I know you were going through your notes fast, so that way we'd have opportunity to talk. But the last section of how to apply the word, that's key. Yeah. And I encourage anybody to go back because we can know the we can know the schemes of the devil, but the most important thing that we need to know is how to apply the word how to apply the word. Yeah. You know, he can try anything, but he doesn't have authority. He doesn't have victory. He doesn't he doesn't get to win unless we allow him that. So when we take up the personal responsibility of knowing the word, applying the word through faith, you know, getting Rhema on it, letting it be real to us, confessing and taking our thoughts captive. There's a responsibility we have, but that responsibility ensures that we can enforce victory that's already been assigned to us from the Father. Yeah. Amen. Amen.
Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very good. People, people need to know, including me, I need to grow in it myself, is how to know the Word and apply it better. You know, uh, it all starts with knowing the Word, and that's a, that has been a major gap in our society today and in our church society is we really haven't known the Word or the character and nature of God from the Word. And because of that, we'll believe things about about Him, you know. Um, it's kind of like this. If you had, imagine, imagine that you had... Uh, uh, somebody, you know, let, let's, I don't, I don't want to use me, but let, let's say that you had a pastor in your past and that pastor was truly a man of character and a man of uh, respect and honor and of godliness. And then you had somebody that came up and said, you know, did you know that that pastor used to lie and he stole money and everything like that? But you really, you were around him, you knew him, you saw his actions, you were there you know, at all different times, and you knew him. You knew him. You were around him for a long period of time. You saw the character played out. You saw that. And then somebody said that, um, you would be like, no, that's a lie because I know him. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, that is a lie. Yeah. Well, you see, the truth be told, a man, is, a man on the earth is a man. He has a corrupted flesh, and sometimes we're shocked by those things. But if you really knew him, then you would stand up against him and be like, no. And see, but God is not a man that he can lie. You know, God is not a man that he can sin and and be deceived. God is holy. God is pure and perfect. And his character and nature is a pure, absolute love towards us. So the funny thing to me is all all of the people at times that will fight for God to be a mean God. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll fight in doctrine for that. It's like, you don't know him, <laughs> you know. You don't even know him. And so that's how the devil gets many people deceived is he'll try to present God as an earthly man. You know, he'll, and many times, you know, one of the ways he does that is he will, uh, he will take a man in a family and he'll, he'll have that man uh, fall for sin and deception. And then he'll go to the kids and he'll say, look at your dad. See how he's messed up? God's like, God the Father's messed up like that too. And that's where men need to take that responsibility and not be that. You know, they need to be men of God and they need to act. They are, they are painting a picture of the Father every moment of their life. And it's very, very imperative that we see that and we understand that and, um, paint the picture of God that we should be painting in that way. So we can help end future deception by the actions that we take today. And uh, we need to take that responsibility. So. Yeah. As, you were, uh, as you were talking during that, I, and this isn't, it may be a question, but it just, it came up to me in my spirit, I believe, that when you gave the example of on a Sunday, you know, 75% of the people are gone. And so not coincidence, it's coordination. What came up to me is as as we're learning, you know, here's the enemy's devices, here's some of the schemes that he uses, not to then glorify him and like only focus on that's the devil. The devil's right here. The devil's in this. The devil's doing this to me today. He's tempting right. me today. He's trying. That's a ditch. And as as you were talking, not that you presented a ditch, that's not what I'm saying, but there's a ditch of the flesh that, 
will just go to the excuse of the devil yeah. made this really hard for me today. Like the devil tempted me and that's why I fell. He has no power and he has no authority in our life. All he can do is lie. And it just, it came up as we're listening to this and as we're talking about it. And as you go back and re-listen to this, re-listen to it with the knowledge of no matter what he tries, I win. No matter yes. what he tries to do in my life, I have victory over it. And I'm just going to know how to defeat him quicker and better now that I know these things. Yeah. Instead of letting it pull us into that ditch. That's yeah. the last thing I had is it, it just kept coming up to me through the whole time. That's a great point. And I, I see Greg has a question. If you'll get that rephrase for me but uh, and ready to ask that but one of the things I, I think one of the things that you bring up that's very very important is that when we are operating in the ways of God it's not important to know the answers of the test mm-hmm. um, in other words you don't win just by knowing what the answer is you win by having that answer be a part of you of your character and nature so uh, one of the things that you'll see is we need to take time to meditate on the Word. We need to take time to know. We need to take time to know God, to know His character, to know His nature, and uh, not just know what the right answer is. Because knowing what the right answer is is great on a test, but it's not going to cause a red flag to come up when deception comes in. It's until that right answer becomes a part of us, mm-hmm. then that will show us the answer. So to your question, um, that because when something cuts across the grain of a test question of just a fact or trivia, that doesn't really cause a, your uh, shield of faith to arise. But when your shield of faith is based off of who you are, and so when we take the test answer or the trivia or the facts about the truth about who God is, and that truth becomes our truth. Now, when the devil shoots a fiery dart, our shield of faith comes up and says, oh, no, no, that's wrong. That's not who God is, you know, and um, we need to understand that. So, for example, uh, you know, in this way, what you just said, well, the devil was really attacking me because a lot of people, they pin things on the devil you understand the devil doesn't have a right to attack you yeah. like that all day long. And so if he's done that, you've already been deceived into allowing him. That's good. Okay? You've already been deceived. And let me show you how that's so from Scripture. So Second Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1 uh, and verse 3 and 4 says that we've already been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. And verse 4 says... We've been made divine partners or partakers of his, we've been made partners or partakers of his divine nature, okay? So that means we're empowered with a supernatural nature to put godliness in action, all right? Everything pertaining to life and godliness, we have a divine nature to put in action. The devil, the devil can't overtake God, and so if we've been granted that already, he can't overtake us either. If we've been allowing that pressure, that means that he's been throwing thoughts and we've not been taking them captive because that's where the pressure comes from. And so, yes, the devil can, you know, it's not, it's not coincidence, it's coordination. He can try those things, but a prolonged attack on that is something that we allow. Remember that the word says, this is where, 
See, we can't just know the answers to the test. It's got to become a part of us. It's like, wait a minute. Hold up. This shouldn't be going on past a, a few seconds. No, I'm done with this. And what, what are we doing now? We're standing up like in James 4, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, resist the devil. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. And so that humility and submission to God should cause resistance of the devil to be automatic. If we know the answer to the test, but that's not really a part of us, then we'll just let the devil keep you know, barraging, you know, throwing a barrage of deceptions and pressure and all that, and we'll never stand up against it. We'll not employ the divine nature of God that we're partakers of in all the things of life and godliness against that and say, no, stop. You know, we won't, we won't do that because we don't know the word. So that's the thing. See, we can know the answers to the test, but until it becomes a part of us, um, we, can't, we can't keep blaming things on the devil. And that's, that's exactly what we're talking about is knowing the word enough to know that that's not how this works. You have no right and no yeah. authority. Get out of my house. Get out of my thoughts. Take those thoughts captive in the name of Jesus. Deal with the devil, and he has to flee. You know, he has to flee. A lot of people don't know that. They think he can just hang around as long as he wants. No, he, the word says he yeah. has to flee. So if I find myself trying to resist the devil and he's not fleeing, I'm going to reach up to some help, some people, pastors, you know, in my life. I'm going to say, why is this not working, you know? And uh, see, but here's the thing. Well, you're, you're a strong enough Christian. You shouldn't have to reach for those. Now you have the pride of life working against you, trying to handle it all yourself and being independent when God called us to be interdependent with him and with other people. So by knowing those things in the Word, it just gets so much easier. It's just so much easier that way. So, amen. Uh, rephrase Greg's question. So I'm not <laughs> sure if he's talking about, uh, he mentioned specifically soulish endeavors, so I'm not sure if he's specifically talking about the lust of the eyes or if he's talking about all three deceptions. But right. uh, we were just kind of looking at it, and Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, but one way of rephrasing it might be, how does it benefit me to abstain from these three deceptions, and how do they help our faith and resolve the benefit yeah. of it? Well, recognizing these deceptions, you know, this is all the devil has. So if we will re recognize them and abstain from them, you're going to literally step out of the devil's realm, and you're going to step into the realm of God and that's going to help. And the more experiences of that victory that you have, the more resolve that you'll have that the next time will work. And the more resolve and faith that you'll have that you can pass on to others as well. Um, I'm reminded of the verse 2 Timothy 2 where it, where it talks about uh, flee youthful lust. In other words, see, a lot of times we play around with stuff. We hang yeah. around sin. We hang around those yeah. thoughts. And we need to flee those things. The Bible very specifically tells us, run from those things. Flee them. You know, Don't hang around them. That's why a lot of times there's, there's people in our lives we don't need to hang around. They're, yeah. they're specifically drawing us to a less faithful position. That's not somebody you need to hang around. You need to hang around people who are drawing you up, who are pulling you up to those places. Yeah. And it's not just people, but... We, people is a good example of that, but those thoughts are the same way. Recently, I was thinking about one thing where 
You know, what if a known murderer, like a serial killer, shows up at your door and rings the doorbell? Are you unlocking it? No. The devil is a known murderer. He is a known murderer. Every murder started with him. Yeah. Every murder started with him. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And the way that he comes in and steals, kills, and destroys is through our thoughts, through deceptions. Why would we entertain a deceptive, ungodly thought? Why would we entertain something that could potentially pull us off? Go back to the alcohol thing. It has the potential to make a provision for the flesh. Why would we hang around with that? Why would we hang around with Why would we make an excuse to hang around with that? Why would we hang around the idea of, of any sin in that way? So obviously, if we stop hanging around those people, we stop hanging around those ideas, then we're going to be finding ourselves where just godliness sits. That's going to strengthen our faith. It's going to strengthen our resolve. Not only that, the blessings of God are going to start to pile on us. So it's something that we need to take seriously. And, and you should see it as this. When an ungodly thought comes to my mind, that is a murderer knocking on my door. Make that set your mind, have a mind set. That's a murderer knocking on my door. Well, he's just talking about, you know, having that extra, you know, that extra bite of food. Or, well, uh, you know, if gluttony was a thing, then that's, that's something you need to deal with. It's not just an extra bite of food. It's a murderous thought. You know, and when you equate it that way, it becomes easier to deal with. But see, the issue is we want to have these gray areas. Yeah. You know, we want to we want to set up these gray areas. Well, I can do this. You know, and, and I can still be a Christian. That why do we want to have those areas? No, set it. If that's not of God, it's a murderous thought. Equate it to that, and you'll see the power of God flowing that much better. So, Amen. Amen. Good question. I hope that's. The answer to what he was asking. <laughs> so does anybody else have any questions or do y'all have anything else or any comments or thoughts on it? Marky has more questions, but that's totally up to you whether or not we keep going since we're past time. Like she is, she, she's Marky. So there's a list. Of <laughs> well, I basically have, I have mainly one more question. I'm still trying okay. to uh, understand. So, which my ditch has been trying to understand things. So if I need try. to, I don't, you I don't, I, yes. <laughs> uh, you're talking about how God is really pleased when we're willing to basically identify if we have a deception in an area. Is there a way to do that on a daily basis? Or is that just through knowing the word better that the word will start to identify those things? Because I know you can't know what the deception is unless you know what the truth is through the word. So I might be putting the cart before the horse. But is there a way to on a daily basis, be walking in humility to examine, do I have, de how would you practically examine, do I have deception in any area? Yeah. Well, the first thing is set yourself in humility. You know, you must set yourself in humility and submission to God and his word. Humility to God is not just going to church. Humility to God is not just reading his word alone. Humility to God is letting the word of God that you read change you. You know, letting the message that you sit under that is from God's Word change you. Recognize this book is holy. This is a supernatural book. Um, it's made thousands of prophecies that have come true 100%. It has not missed. This is a supernatural book. And so when we understand that, we see all of the character and nature. Everything we need to know about God is in that, is in that holy Bible. Everything we need to know, it's there. It's there. And so 
when we understand that, the word becomes our standard. But the word as a standard is not just so that we can win trivial, you know, Bible trivial pursuit. The word as a standard is that it becomes a part of us, and we have to humble ourselves to that word. We must humble ourselves to that word so that it changes us. So if I see in there that it tells me that you know I need to put the word above uh, you know anything, then I need to make that change immediately. I don't need to wait. I need to make that change immediately. So the first step is humility, but the second step is in that humility, allowing change to happen in the way that we live, in the, in the decisions that we make, the thoughts that we have, we need to make sure that we allow the Word to change us. If we're just sitting there and we don't allow the Word to change us, we are spinning our wheels. So now the other thing is, in humility, you recognize, I don't know everything that I probably think I know according to what God knows. Um, so if you could view your life from the eyes of God, you would probably see a lot more wrong than what you would be comfortable with. Well, that means if we recognize that and we see that as most likely true, then we should do something about it. And that means that we go into the Word, we have that daily fellowship with, with the Lord, but we also get around people that have already cleaned up some of those pieces of their own life and are anointed to help us help us clean up our life, you know, pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We want to get around them. We want to listen to those uh, messages that they preach that are anointed by God and based on the standard of the word. If it's not based on the standard of the word, then, you know, then stop listening. You know, yeah. don't listen to them. Um, one time, for example, there is a major, major preacher if I said his name, most people would know know this person. And they were on TV, and the thing the thing that they said was, and they, they didn't mean this as just something to capture your attention. They said, what do you do when God says no? All right, here's the problem with it. I about picked up, I wanted to throw something at the screen. I was so mad. I'm like, you have this major platform. God doesn't say no. All of the promises of God are yes yeah. and amen. You know, he was literally saying that sometimes God says no. God's not saying no to his promises. He may say no to your flesh, yeah. uh, but he's not saying no to his promises. But he literally, he, he literally was saying that sometimes his promises, he tells you no. Yeah. And I went, man, that you, we do err not knowing the scripture or the, or the power of God. And so one of the things to do is get around people that the word is their standard. That's their standard. I'm not saying that they can't ever miss it. Uh, you know, I've had times where I've preached and missed it, but get around people that even if they miss it, they catch it and they correct it. You know, and that kind of character of, of people that the word is their standard and faith is their standard. Faith is their standard. You know, uh, he says this, I think it's in Galatians 6 where it says, it, you know, be a blessing, take from what you you have and give it to them to the ones that teach you the word, who who preaches, who are of the word of faith, you know, share with those, especially of those who are of the household of faith. In other words, we don't want to just be preachers of the word. We want to be preachers of a faithful word and a hopeful word. Look for people like that in our lives. So when you're getting, you may have things that you don't recognize at first. God will help you find those things and put his, he'll shine the light on those things as you are in fellowship 
with him and his ways, which means you're also in fellowship with others who are called to help oversee your life. Bring those, and in humility, bring those questions. Like, like if you just feel that little small prompting, like, I don't know if doing it this way is right. A lot of times we don't want to take that to our mentors because we're, we're, we don't want them to think, you know, less, less of us. Yeah. That's the pride of life. That's yeah. the deception. You know, that's deception working against you right there. And so well, I don't want them to think less of me. If they're in love, they're not going to think less of you. They're going to think higher of you because you had the humility to bring it and your desire to grow. If they're operating in love, they're not going to think less of you. Yeah. They're going to be like, praise God. Yeah. Praise God. You know, recently I had somebody in, uh, in my life that um, uh, started asking, they're, they're successful, they're, they're doing stuff, but they're reaching out and asking questions. Like on a regular basis, I'm like, glory to God, look at this. Would you look at this? I mean, it's just, this is amazing because it just doesn't happen enough. And uh, they're asking questions on, on answers that they probably know. They probably know the basic answer of it, but they're still reaching out in humility. When we do that, that helps illuminate those deceptions quicker. And when that they're illuminated quicker, we can deal with those things and learn those pieces of God that we didn't know before quicker. We'll continue in his word, and we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. So does that answer your question? Yes, sir. Good. Thank Amen. You. Praise the Lord. Well, I just help, hope that this has helped you and blessed you. And I, I feel like I don't know how to do this exactly, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you what. If you will go to whatsright.com, go to whatsright.com and send us a mail and say, I want the notes from today, we'll send you these notes and this outline and you can have it. So if you'll go to whatsright.com, go to the contact and just send us a message and uh, we'll send you, just ask for the notes from How to Beat the Devil and we'll send that to you today. Be happy to do that. And uh, we just praise God for you. Let me just pray right now and then I'm going to turn it over to these guys uh, to uh, basically receive an offering if you would like to sow into that. But Father, right now, I just ask that every person that's hearing this and listening to this, listening to this, Lord, reveal the deceptions in a greater, greater way than they've ever been revealed before. And Lord, let us be strengthened with all your might to choose to step out of those deceptions and into godliness in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life that's in the word. And thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fall victim to the traps, schemes, and deceptions of the devil. We thank you that you have freed us from his devices. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Glory to God. Thanks for being with us today. Remember, share it, like, subscribe, and we'll see you tomorrow. Here's Barrett and Marky. Hey guys, thanks for being on with us. If you would like to sow into the broadcast today, you are welcome to do so. We, we actually encourage you to do so at the leading of the Lord, not for our benefit, but because it benefits you. The word says that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Not that it's not blessed to receive, but there's a blessing when you sow. There's a blessing when you invest your life into the word and your seed represents your life. 
It represents your livelihood, your time, your effort, your energy. And when we invest that into the word, God is then legally able to invest himself back into us. It's an exchange, a covenant that we have with him. And so we want to open this up to whomever feels the leading to sow. If the Lord is speaking to you, and you can typically tell that because your flesh is like, <laughs> like often the flesh can feel that way. You'll know when you're supposed to. Just be obedient. Ask him how much. He knows how much you have. He's the one that gave it to you. So if he says to sow it, he's able to not only get it back to you, but so much more back to you. So just trust him. Be obedient. So as you feel led, we try to make it super easy for you. So that way, while the flesh may try to say, no, don't do it, it's just super easy to ignore it and click away. <laughs> so you can go to giveww.org. You can scan the QR code. We have a variety of options of platforms that you can sew on. But the most important thing is that you hear and you're obedient to obey whatever his voice says. That's where the blessing lies, is willingness and obedience. And if you'll do that, you'll eat the good of the land. And we want you to be the people who feast on his goodness today. Amen. Amen. Well, Lord, thank you for every gift that is given, every seed that is sown. And it's not just something that's given and not returned. We believe that it is blessed. And every yeah. seed that's sown today will be multiplied pressed down, yeah. shaken together, running over, blessed, and multiplied yeah. to give way for even more seed, even more bread to eat yeah. for the blessing of your children, God, and for the benefit of the kingdom, Lord. We receive that harvest now yeah, in Jesus' you. name. Amen. Amen. Well, we thank y'all for being on with us. Thank you for sowing. And we just, we truly thank you for your partnership with the word that we are getting out daily. If you haven't done so yet, make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you are one of our Facebook viewers who's hopped over onto YouTube, or if you just stumbled upon us today and you don't have a YouTube channel yet, sign up, get an account. And that way you can comment back and forth as, as that no. <laughs> that way we can say hi to you too. We want to know who's watching, where you're watching from, because we love you. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye.